Ever thought about starting your own podcast? The Maverick Podcasting Network makes creating and running your podcast easy and fun. Visit maverickpodcasting.com to get started today. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Maverick Mondays. I'm your host, Maverick Peters. It is my intention to change your Mondays, to change your week, and to change your life. One episode, one Monday at a time, here on the Maverick Mondays podcast. I've had the incredible opportunity to sit down with some pretty fantastic people. The individuals who are successful at what they do or are extremely positive-minded in the way they live their daily lives Those are the people we will be hearing from on this show. Stay tuned for today's guest. Our guest today on the Maverick Mondays podcast is Rabbi Yonasan Goldson. Rabbi Goldson is from St. Louis, Missouri. He is the director of Ethical Imperatives, teaches leaders and professionals on the benefits of good ethics in business. He's a keynote speaker, a TEDx presenter, a community rabbi, and an author. Rabbi, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you, Maverick. So tell us what's been going on lately in the rabbi's life. Well, I think like most of us, uh, we're trying to adapt uh, to what has now become one of the worst cliches, uh, uh, the new normal or the new abnormal. We should try to try to think of new terminologies every once in a while so we don't get stuck in this sort of calcified mindset of boring, tedious, uh, irritating labels. But really what, uh, what I think I've been seeing is, is really a fascinating phenomenon. I've been very cynical about the online culture and how it, it makes our interaction so shallow. But now that that's all we have, I think people are now striving and seeking a new depth of relationship and in ways are connecting on a deeper level than they were in person. So, uh, you know, in, in Judaism, we have, we have this idea of forced separation. Uh, young men and young women don't have physical contact. Uh, even married couples have a, a period of separation every month. And the point of that is to recognize that we have to work harder to make real, genuine, substantive connections on an intellectual and an emotional, psychological level. So even this is very, very uncomfortable, very difficult for us, but it also prevents, pre- presents a tremendous opportunity for us. 100%. And speaking of opportunities, with your ethical imperatives, you really show the, the opportunities and the benefits that professionals and leaders can have you know, when it comes from an, from an ethical and moral standpoint, how do you do that? How do you create the bridge, close the gap between ethics that can stem from religion and bring them into the business and professional world? That's, uh, that's really been the challenge. I've sort of formulated an idea. Uh, I think it's mine. I don't think I picked it up anywhere else. It's very difficult to talk about morality because we all come from different moral vantage points. Uh, if we're religious, we have our own religious doctrines and dogmas. If we're not religious, we may have humanitarian ideas or secular ethical concepts. But to talk about morality can often pit us against each other because morality, I think by definition, descends from above. 
It has to come from a higher authority. And so what I try to do is differentiate morality from ethics, which I think ethics is more of a grassroots, uh, a sort of a populist approach for us as a society, as communities, as a, as a general culture, to come together to identify what are those fundamental principles that we can all agree on, and how can we articulate that in a way that we could practically apply it to everyday life. And it's still going to be difficult because of social differences, because of very, very intense political differences. But the one thing we can all agree on is that we want to make more money. And so my idea is to try to develop ethics, not business ethics per se, but rather an ethical mindset within the professional and business world to create a more refined and sensitive, ethically sensitive culture in the hope that that will then seep out to the larger social and political communities. What would be an example of unethical or immoral workplace setting? Let's go back to a time when people were not allowed to join a business or not advance through a business because of their color, because of their religion, because of their sex. You know, society has come to a point where we reject that now, but there is still a lot of bias. And then you have the opposite problem, overcompensation. Let's give people jobs or put people in positions or admit people to, let's say, universities, even though they may not have the qualifications they're supposed to, because they have been discriminated against in the past. It's a very complicated and often delicate balance to try to create an even playing field, to try to compensate for past injustices without perpetrating new injustices. What happens if a person is, I was just reading a, a case study like this, a, um, an African-American businessman was asked to come on a, come to a business meeting that he really had nothing to do with. He hadn't been part of the project. He wasn't really in that particular area, but they wanted his presence there to make a statement to the, to the other side to, oh, look, we have a, we have a black man on our, on our team. Is that a case of exploitation? Are they simply using him? Should he, should he protest that? There are, there are all kinds of situations that can arise that uh, there's no you know, clear right or wrong. There are just shades of gray. When it comes to ethical imperatives, what is the most difficult challenge you've faced so far and how did you overcome it? Well, the challenge for me personally has been learning to be a businessman. I was a, I was a high school teacher for 23 years, uh, taught in a Jewish school. I went to college, University of California, got a degree in English, wanted to be a writer. So what did I do? I went hitchhiking cross country and backpacking across uh, Europe to try to gain experiences and insights and, and, and a breadth of knowledge that I'd have stories to tell and, and insights to share. And I ended up in Israel and that's when I became religious. And I'd grown up with absolutely no knowledge of my culture whatsoever. So I, spent, I ended up spending nine years in Israel, basically learning all the things that I would have liked to have learned when I was younger. I, I got my rabbinic degree there. I met my wife, we had our first two children. And then I started on a career teaching Jewish high school. and did that for 23 years until my school closed four years ago. I decided what do I want to do when I grow up. And so I decided to start a speaking business. I wanted to take the principles of Judaism that I had been studying and that I was passionate about and find a, a message that would be relevant and would resonate in the professional world. And I distilled all of those 
3,000 years of wisdom into a single soundbite, I came up with ethics. One thing, the first challenge was how to present Jewish traditional concepts in a way that is accessible and uh, digestible for a secular audience, a general audience. And the second was just how do you run a business? How do you start a business? How do you market yourself? How do you, how do you sell yourself? Um, it, was, uh, it was a steep current learning curve. And uh, it, you know, it, it posed some challenges, something I never thought I was going to have to do. And then just when I was starting to get some traction, I felt like, okay, I really, this is really moving in the right direction. Then COVID-19, the entire speaking industry shut down. And now, okay, let's try to come up with another, another business model. Uh, of course, this is, this is part of the whole conversation about ethics too. Because when we find ourselves in situations that we feel, well, I didn't create this problem. Um, it's not fair that I should be suffering. Well, I can get mad, I can get upset, I can cry, I can crawl into a hole. Uh, or I can figure out, well, okay, how do I deal with it? And you know, what we want to do is we want to draw on the, on the more noble part of ourselves. We want, to, we want to be in touch with our higher selves so that we respond to situations in the best possible way instead of reacting against situations in a way that we can be self-destructive and destructive to others. What's the best way we can do that? How, you know, practically speaking, how can we get in touch with our quote-unquote higher selves to come back down and get our feet firm on the ground? Yeah, I, I think the bottom line starts, and of course we all know the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, but uh, I don't know, who, I don't remember who said this, but we tweak, we should tweak it a little bit, do unto others as they would have us do unto them. Um, I have a, a, an acronym that I, that I form out of the word ethics, six specific qualities that together create a person who has an ethical mindset. And the first one, the E of ethics, is empathy. To be aware that our actions affect other people. To be aware that other people share our world. And that if we have that sensitivity, then we are already on course to be able to make the decisions that are ultimately ethical, that have a positive influence upon our society. And we're not just doing it for others. We're doing it for ourselves because the more I refine my own character, the more I make myself better, then the better the world around me becomes. And the better the world around me becomes, then the better world I have to live in. So the T stands for trustworthiness, and that's more than honesty. Right? Honesty is, I tell the truth. Trustworthiness means I'm a person of integrity, which means I live the truth. Uh, I'm, I don't, I'm not honest part-time. I, I don't say one thing and do something else. I, I, I set standards for myself, and, and I attempt to live up to those standards. That doesn't mean I'm perfect, because we all make mistakes, and, and we all get caught up. But then I, I acknowledge my mistakes. I try to do better. The H is humility. Humility, uh, so there's a very famous pastor by the name of Rick Warren, who has a wonderful comment. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And it means that we are aware that we have a responsibility to others, that we don't know everything, and therefore we have an obligation to continue learning and keep, keep, continue to re-examine our own values. And that leads into the I, which is inquisitiveness, to be curious. I always want to learn more. I, I don't want to to convince myself I know everything there is. The, the sages teach that somebody who learns something a hundred times cannot be compared to someone who learns it 101 times. 
because you get to 100 times, you say, I can't possibly know it better. You learn it 101 times, you're making a statement. I'm never going to know this well enough. And so to always be looking, learning, uh, trying to see the world in a new way. The C is courage. It's not always easy when you see injustice in the world, when you see people being mistreated, uh, when you see people acting in ways that they shouldn't be, to engage. And, and it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't mean necessarily to be confrontational, but it does mean that we can't just look the other way. Uh, we can't just ignore uh, injustice. Sometimes we have to go against the grain. Sometimes we have to go against the crowd. Sometimes we have to take a stand and speak out. And sometimes we have to be quiet and let other people have their say. And the S is sincerity. Because we have to really want this. We can't, we can't just be utilitarian in our approach. We can't just, just say, well, I'm going I'm to do the right thing because, well, it's, it's a way to get ahead. It's, 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 uh, it's, I have to do it because I'm committed to it. I, I, I have values. I'm always refining my values. I'm setting higher standards for myself, and I'm looking for new ways that I can improve myself. If you put all that together, then you have a person who is positioned to live a truly ethical life. With the perspective of a keynote speaker, community rabbi, and an author, have you noticed increase or decline as we're in the year 2020 with ethics and morals? That's a really uh, fascinating question, uh, and the answer is yes. What I see is a, uh, I should try to come up with a, with a term for it. Polarization is not quite the term. Rather, it's a, it's a reaction to polarization. More and more people are, are disgusted, dismayed, disappointed with, our, with the, 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 the partisanship within our culture, both politically and socially. I mean, if you, listen, if you look at the different news outlets, if you, if you go from uh, you know, to Fox News, to MSNBC, to, to the Wall Street Journal, to, to NPR, um, you can think you're living on two different planets. Uh, the view of what's going on in the world and, and how people are acting and whether things are good or bad, it, it's, it's night and day. And the level of rhetoric, uh, particularly from our political leaders and from our news commentators, it's embarrassing uh, how often childish and corrosive the, the language is, the, the, the lack of um, reasoned debate or civil discourse and so in that sense, I think that demonstrates a breakdown of ethical sensitivity. But on the other hand, I think that there is a reaction to that that is growing. And I hope that that is, I'm trying to be optimistic, that that is going to develop into more of a grassroots uprising, that people in this country uh, and really through the world are going to say, we've had enough of this, and we want leaders who are going to talk to each other, who are going to speak civilly to each other, who are going to recognize that you can't always get everything you want. You have to live in a world with people who have different points of view and different values. And we have to find a way. You know, compromise is not a dirty word. If I compromise with someone else because we have to come to an agreement, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm compromising my values. It means that I'm recognizing the reality. And that's part of being ethical. Being ethical is that you acknowledge the realities in front of you. It's, you, you can't you know, set a standard for yourself that is absolutely untenable if you're going to engage society, unless you want to go up in the ivory tower, you want to go up on a mountaintop and, and, and live a monastic life. But when you deal with people, it's going to get messy. 
and and the willingness to have a a line past which I can't compromise my value, but then have a large area where, okay, there has to be some give and take because I have to function in a society with other people who see the world differently. Is there anything in particular that would be the underlying cause for this that really stands out? What can we do as individuals to help boost? You know, we always say, be the change you want to see in the world. Well, I recently, and when I say recently, really just in the last week or so, came up with a, an approach. You know, in, any, in any kind of dysfunction, whether it's chemical addiction, spousal abuse, destructive and self-destructive behaviors. So what has, what has coalesced as a, as an, as a solution is, is a 12-step program to recovery. And this model has been adapted by, by all kinds of different groups. So I've sort of developed this 12-step system or program for ethical recovery. And your question was, where did it start? How do we get here? And what can we do about it? So the first two steps of any 12-step program, the first is admit that you have no control. Now, what does that mean? I have no control. It means that we can only respond to the situations in which we find ourselves. You know, we're very big on freedom. We're very big on free choice. But we don't always get to choose the choices that we get to make. And so admit that you have no control means I have to understand the world around me is going to be the world around me. And I'm going to have to function in that world. So I don't get to choose which choices I make. I only get to respond to the situations as they arise. And my choices won't necessarily determine the outcome, which is also what it means not that admit you don't have to control. Because, you know, especially in business, there are endless examples of people who did everything wrong and succeeded, and people who did everything right and failed, because there are conditions of play we cannot control. Rather, what, what's critical is the way we make our choices. That is the one thing we do have control over. What are my priorities? What are my values? Am I being consistent? If I approach life and business and relationships with a me versus you or us versus them type of attitude, then there's always going to be conflict. There's always going to be tension. If I have a mindset that I don't have to choose between being good and being successful, I can do the right thing for others in a way that it's also the right thing for me. With that mindset, there is such contentiousness in our soul, in our culture right now. We're so focused on me, my rights, what do I want? And I think maybe coming back to, to your question again, that, that focus on rights versus responsibilities. If I'm focused on my responsibility to you, then your rights are going to take care of themselves. If I'm focused on your responsibility to me, then we are always going to be bumping heads because I'm always going to be looking at what I want and what I need and what I think I'm entitled to. And so if we make that switch and we take responsibility for ourselves, then that will create a culture where we can start getting back on the path to ethical recovery. I want to tell you guys about my friends at Rube Adler Sports in Solon, Ohio. The guys at Rube Adlers bring passion and efficiency to the world that is custom sporting goods. They specialize in custom jerseys, team orders, online web stores, and now face masks. With the ever-growing advancements in technology, it's about time the sporting goods industry does so as well, making it as seamless as possible. 
they work to create a highly efficient way of connecting athletes, coaches, and all you soccer moms out there with top-notch spirit wear. Let their team help your team take the stress out of the clothing part so you can focus more on performing your best. Call them today at 440-248-4668. Mention my name, Maverick, and see how you can save on your very first order. So Rabbi, tell me like this, is there something that you could tell somebody listening right now, maybe one thing they can really take to heart that can help them increase or strengthen their moral compass in their professional or work life? Is there one real takeaway message? Well, as long as we started the, uh, the list of 12 steps to go to the second one, which is an acknowledge a power greater than yourself. Now, certainly for me as a rabbi, the power greater than myself is God. But even for someone who's not religious, you know, there's nothing that gets a person more passionate, more excited, more enthusiastic than being a member of a winning team. You think about sports events, and, and you see people acting in ways that are sometimes <laughs> pretty extreme. I'm talking about the fans. As I'm sitting in the bleachers, and I, you know, I'm all maybe dressed up in, in funny clothes and wearing certain colors and waving things and shouting at the top of my lungs and jumping up and down. Why? Because I'm identifying through my home team. Their victory somehow is, is, is a reflection on me. So what if we're not just participants, but we're actually players? And what if the team we're on is not just about hitting a ball or moving a ball downfield or putting it through a hoop, but it's about doing something that is intrinsically going to make the world a better place. You know, you know who talks about this so articulately right now is Simon Sinek, where his, his whole golden circle and find your why, he says that, that and he demonstrates this, and you know, he's, he's successful because his, what, he, what he's saying, his message is, it just hits home. People recognize the truth of it, that there are certain businesses, certain companies, certain corporations and industries where it, they're not just about making money. They believe in something. They have, they have a co corporate culture and values of that culture. And there's nothing that I like to do better than give my business to a company that I admire, that I respect, because then I feel like I'm part of their team. I'm contributing. And if I work for such a company, then I want to get up in the, I want to get up in the morning. I want to go to work. I want to be part of this great project. So acknowledge a power greater than yourself means having a sense of purpose and meaning and mission and vision that my life makes a difference. I'm contributing to something that is making the world a better place. And once I'm part of a team like that, then I'm going to hold myself more accountable. I'm going to set a higher bar for myself because I want to be worthy of being on this team. And I want to be worthy of the company, being in the company of those who are already on that team. If we would look more outside ourselves. What is my vision? What is my purpose? What team am I on? What's the power or the identity greater than myself that I can attach myself to? That's going to pull us all up together. Someone who wakes up, and I'm sure the rabbis had this feeling as well, right? You wake up on a Monday or you wake up on a day and it's raining outside, or you wake up and it's still quarantine, right? And you're just, you're not enthused. You're not ready to go take on the day. What piece of advice would you have for that kind of person who really struggles in the morning to get their day going for work or for school or just to just to get moving and to get motivated? When I was muddling through my own difficulties in, in being a businessman, um, I was trying to watch a lot of different podcasts and interviews uh, about successful people. 
And one of the ideas I kept hearing again and again and again, it got eerie after a while, how often I was hearing this, these super successful people, right, multimillionaires and billionaires, many of them self-made, who used affirmations. Now, affirmations can, can be very flaky. Um, if I just say, I'm a good person, I'm a wonderful person, right, life is good. Uh, well, actually, we can make ourselves more depressed that way. If, if life isn't matching up with what we're telling ourselves. So the, the, the approach that, that I found, that I've tried to use for myself, is I call it more of a visualization. I imagine myself in the ideal that I want to be. And I put it, you can do it any way you want, but I put it in the form of a prayer. I say that I have confidence and I believe that there is a future that has been prepared for me that looks like this. And then I, I talk, I find joy and fulfillment in my family, in my community, and in my profession. I communicate the value of what I do and the ideals in which I believe with passion, clarity, and confidence. And I go through this list. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a dream list. It's a list describing me the way I believe I can be and the way I want to be and the way I, I believe I will be if I put the effort into getting there. I try to do that in the morning and in the evening. I don't always make both. Sometimes I don't make either, but I can feel the difference when I do because it creates a mindset. Now, now, I'm, now my morning is framed. Now I have my vision statement and my mission statement in front of me. And if I do it at night, I go to bed with these thoughts in my head, I'm gonna wake up in a different way. You know, in, in, in Jewish practice, we, we have a, the first thing when I wake up in the morning, I give thanks that I've got another chance at life. And I thank my creator for giving me another chance, for trusting me with another day of life, because every day is precious. And when I go to sleep, I say a prayer. I, I, I forgive those who've trespassed against me. And I ask for forgiveness. And I try to get myself in a mindset where I'll be ready to have a fresh start the next day. It takes two minutes, a minute in the morning, a minute in the evening, to really just contemplate the tremendous potential that we have and the tremendous opportunity that we have. You know, most people don't realize that it's those little minutes, it's those little couple seconds that can really make all the difference. Speaking of thanks, Rabbi, thank you so much for taking the time to be a part of our podcast, to be on the Maverick Mondays podcast. How can people find out more about you? How can they, I know that you're an author as well. How can they check out some of the things you've written? Yeah, well, everything is uh, together on my webpage, which is my name, yonasongoldson.com, Y-O-N-A-S-O-N-G-O-L-D-S-O-N, and also my business name, ethicalimperatives.com, it's the same website. Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn, a little bit less so on uh, the other social media. But if you look for me, uh, you can find me. And I'm always interested and, and eager to have conversations and take the conversation offline and see where uh, discussions and partnerships can go. What really struck me from my conversation with Rabbi Jonasson Goldson in episode 34 was when he said, do unto others as they would have us do unto them.